This is the Artisan CEO Podcast, Season 2, Episode 11. On this episode, we'll be talking about lighting. More specifically, I'm addressing artificial lighting. We're going to be covering the basic equipment that every photographer, whether you call yourself a natural light photographer or not, the equipment that every photographer needs to have in their gear bag. And we're going to be talking about the foundational knowledge that every professional photographer needs to possess in order to serve your clients no matter what kind of weather Mother Nature decides to serve up on the day of a shoot. Welcome to the Artisan CEO, where the art of photography meets the business of profits. This is where strategy and craftsmanship coexist so that you can run a creative business that supports a life you love. I'm your host, Abby Grace, and I promise to give it to you straight. I don't know what it was about 2022, but it was the year of bad weather on shoot days and misleading listing photographs. We had session after session last year where I would show up expecting big windows with gorgeous natural light only to realize that the listing photos that my clients had sent over from some kind of short-term rental site were not true to life or at least not true to life on a day when the skies are not completely clear. So I don't know if those listing photos were edited after the fact to make a room appear brighter or if maybe the photographer who was photographing them shot on a tripod with a long exposure. But some of these spots, the website classified them as having a natural light rating of A when I would have given them a C at best. Now, I've been a photographer for 13 years, and even so, stepping on set when the light is different from what I was expecting, it still makes me sweat. Just ask my assistants. They get to see me in all of my frazzled glory in situations like this, and it's not pretty, at least until I get my lighting dialed in, and then I relax. But like, if if you get nervous about bad light, just know that you are not alone. It happens to me too. But the good news is that it's entirely within your control to do something about it. I used to cling to the term natural light photographer like it was a Kevlar vest. Like I can't, I can't possibly be expected to know how to light complicated situations. I'm a natural light photographer. And I would repeat sentiments to myself to make me feel better like, oh, natural light's just easier to control. Like I don't need to learn complicated lighting because natural light, I choose that. It's easier to control. Except for the fact that we don't control natural light. We can check the forecast, but like you get whatever light Mother Nature decides to serve up that day. And if you're shooting for a client with a light and airy vibe, but Mother Nature serves up dark and stormy clouds, well, what then? I also justified my refusal to learn off-camera flash by saying, well, I know what to expect with natural light, except when the light on set turned out to be different than anticipated. And then when the light was different from my expectations, I would panic because I didn't know how to overcome the challenge. Like walking into a room that's usually evenly lit with nice window light only to realize that because it's winter and the sun is at a lower angle, you've actually got direct light slicing across the middle of your frame and you don't have a set of sheer curtain panels on hand to help soften the window light. I had that happen last January. We can't cling to the excuse, but I'm a natural light photographer, when it is your job to arrive on set ready to create usable content for your clients. So some of that's going to mean being really intentional with your clients about choosing a location that you feel confident is going to set both of you up for success. But the other more significant side of that is being able to shoot where you are. 
If we're going to charge professional prices as brand photographers, we also need to be able to promise professional results. And this doesn't just apply to brand photographers. If you're a wedding photographer or family photographer, that same thing applies. If you're going to charge professional prices, you need to also be able to promise professional results. And when you show up at a location with less than desirable light, even if the fault is down to misleading listing photos, you've got to be able to roll with it and get your clients the high quality photographs that they are expecting from you. Because sometimes increasing your ISO and slowing your shutter speed and throwing the aperture open, it's just not enough. I had a shoot last year. uh, It was at a residential location with a ton of tree cover outside the house, plus rain and gloom all day. I mean, from beginning to end, there wasn't a single drop of sunshine. And my camera was cranked to 4,000 ISO. My shutter speed was at 180th of a second and my f-stop was 2.8 and it was still too dark to be workable. I couldn't slow my shutter speed any further because I was shooting a team of two and I needed to freeze their motions. Honestly, 180th of a second was lower than I prefer. I like to stay at 125th or higher. So I'd slowed it down to 180th, still too dark. I couldn't open my aperture any further because, again, I was shooting a team, and even 2.8 was lower than I'd liked. And if I increased my ISO any further, I knew that I was going to start to see grain on their final images, and so that wasn't an acceptable solution either. So this meant that I needed to break out my off-camera light. In order to deliver the, the product that I promised to my client, it required more sophisticated lighting than what Mother Nature was providing. But listen... I love shooting with natural light just as much as you do. It's faster to get set up, it requires fewer adjustments to my gear, and it's easier to move from one spot to the next when you're not having to move studio lights or light stands with you. So if a natural light option is available, I almost always take that because it means I can work faster, which means I can deliver more final photographs to my client with more variety. But sometimes natural light is not a viable option. And even though I know that setting up off-camera flash is gonna slow me down a little bit, I know the final results are going to be better for my clients when I take the time to light a scene well instead of simply jacking up the ISO and hoping for the best. Side note, when you control your light and you're being purposeful about implementing clean light instead of making sacrifices to your in-camera settings like shutter speed, ISO, and aperture, it makes the editing process faster and less painful. (laughs) You can do this, and I mean it, you can do this. Learning to use off-camera flash is not reserved for photographers with a knack for tech because I certainly don't fall into that category. And it's not just for photographers who shoot in the studio. This is within your reach. You are capable enough and you are creative enough to understand lighting. And furthermore, you're going to see that a lot of what you learn with off-camera flash is theory that you've already been putting to work with natural light. Learning to use artificial light doesn't mean that you have to change your entire body of work. You're not all of a sudden like now you're a studio photographer and you can't shoot in that light and airy style that you love so much. You can use off-camera flash to emulate the look of natural light so that you have consistency across your portfolio. Buying a softbox doesn't mean that you're trading your light and airy look for strobey glamour shots vibes. We're just adding more knowledge and expertise to your toolkit here because learning off-camera flash will in the end make you an even better natural light photographer. Real quick, photographers, are you tired of lather, rinse, and repeating the same tired collection of forgettable photos from one brand session to the next? If you're ready to turn yawn-worthy galleries into the sort of results that thrill your clients and get you both noticed, 
then you're definitely gonna wanna join me for my free training, The Backstage Secret to Scroll-Stopping Brand Photography. Whether you're a seasoned veteran or you're just getting started out in the world of branding, this session is for you. I'll teach you my number one strategy for crafting stories that resonate with your clients and their audience, which is the biggest secret behind creating galleries that not only look stunning, but also drive engagement and sales for your clients, which, spoiler alert, is what keeps them coming back for additional sessions in the future. Because as brand photographers, purposeful matters more than pretty, but who says you can't have both? Our job is to think like a marketer and shoot like an artist, but you have to have both pieces of that equation and learning to approach with the mindset of a strategist that changes everything. So if you're raring to say goodbye to cliche galleries that simply repeat what's already clogging your Pinterest and social media and hello to a method that drives brand loyalty and real bottom line growth, then head on over to abbygrace.co slash training. That's abbygrace.co slash training. It's time to leave those forgettable, smiling at a laptop photos in the dust in favor of a more tailored approach that's gonna leave your clients obsessed and already planning for their next shoot with you. One more time, that's abbygrace.co slash training. I'll see you in class. So first up, let's highlight the lighting gear that every photographer needs in their bag. Two speed lights, because you always have to have a backup in case something breaks, right? If I'm shooting with a speed light on camera, which I hardly ever do, but if I'm going to, I'm gonna be using it as a bounce flash, pointing the flash head at the wall or the ceiling to soften its effect. I almost never shoot with my speed light pointed straight at my subject. I, the last time, I think this was actually the only time I've ever done this, like pointed the flash head straight at whoever I was pointing my lens at. It was for a roller disco themed 40th birthday party and I used the straight on camera flash to emulate that 70s vibe of the celebration. So you need to know how to use your speed light on manual mode, not just TTL mode. TTL means through the lens, which means your flash is making its own choice about power output levels. It's like auto mode for your flash. You need to understand what effect that's gonna have on your photograph as you change the power output. This means practicing it at home on your kids, taking photographs of your cat, take it to your next family gathering and practice there, whatever you need to do. Because being able to predict the effect that your light will have on your scene will make you better equipped to adjust your lighting on set because you're not guess and checking, you're changing your lighting on purpose to achieve a specific look. I cannot emphasize what a difference that makes. Being able to look at a photograph and diagnose what isn't working and knowing what you need to change in order to achieve the look that you're going for. You need to know what effect you're gonna get with bouncing your light to the side, straight up, or popping a dome on top of it, what that's going to achieve. There's a company, MagMod. They make modifiers for speed lights that pop on and off with a simple magnet. I don't have any of their products, so I can't personally attest to them, but I've heard other photographers say that they love them. You also wanna make sure that your bag has a reflector in it. It is one of the least expensive pieces of equipment out there, but I use mine at every single shoot. Sometimes to bounce extra light back into the shadows, sometimes to diffuse or block harsh light coming through the windows, but just make sure you've got one in your bag. In addition to having a speed light and a backup speed light and a reflector, I firmly believe that brand photographers also need to understand not just brand photographers, every photographer, needs to understand how to use a basic one light setup. I learned the term one light setup from Justin and Mary Morantz years ago. I'm not sure if that's their term um, that's become like a standard one throughout the photography industry or if that existed prior to J&M, but it's pretty much exactly what it sounds like. One light, 
set up on a light stand, usually with some kind of modifier attached like an umbrella or a softbox. In its most simple form, it's a speed light that's being triggered remotely by another speed light on top of your camera. Most speed lights these days come with built-in radio triggers, so there's no need for an additional piece of equipment to make them sync. They are programmed to talk to one another. For specifics on how your flash is supposed to talk to the other flash, you're going to need to read your camera manual because each brand is specific to itself. So why do you need to know how to use a one light setup? Like why isn't an on-camera flash enough? Well, a one light setup offers you two major advantages. One, you get more light. If your on-camera flash just isn't enough power, adding a one light setup off-camera is going to help. But then it also takes the maturity factor up a notch. Off-camera flash, it offers you the opportunity to introduce dimension. You control more of where the highlights and the shadows fall within your frame because your light is coming from one direction, the light stand, as opposed to being bounced off of a wall or a ceiling. The further your light has to travel, the more power it's going to lose on its way to lighting your subject. So if your flash has to bounce from your flash head to the wall and then from the wall back to the subject, it's losing power. And by introducing a flash off camera, you don't have to rely on bouncing your light. You can position the light stand at your desired angle and then point the flash and the umbrella directly at the client, preserving power and introducing highlights and shadows that would have otherwise maybe been softened into oblivion by bouncing your flash off of a wall or a ceiling. Maybe you're a natural light-loving photographer and you show up on set to find it way darker than expected. Hello, that was 2022 for me. (laughs) Using off-camera flash and a larger modifier. Modifier is just something that we put in front of the light source to soften or direct the light in a particular way. Something like a softbox or an umbrella. And so when you use off-camera flash and a large modifier, that can allow you to emulate the look of window light. Flash doesn't have to be flashy. Actually, my goal most of the time with off-camera flash is almost always for it to feel as natural as possible. I'm not usually going for the studio vibe unless I think it fits specifically with the client's overall brand. Remember, it is your job as a brand photographer to be able to diagnose your light on set and choose your gear accordingly in order to capture the type of photography you promised your client. You have to at least be prepared for the possibility that online listings of photo shoot spots could be misleading or that the weather could be suboptimal. And in that situation, we can either make excuses as to why it's not our fault that the lighting is the worst Or we can put our big kid pants on and solve the issue so that you can get back to shooting and delivering those stellar photographs that your client is expecting. Simple YouTube search of one light setup Canon or one light setup Nikon or whatever, that should get you sorted. We're going to link to a YouTube tutorial from one of my favorite clients, Caitlin James. Uh, Her video is geared more towards wedding photographers, but the basic principles are still there. You do not need to overcomplicate this. Learning how to use off-camera flash doesn't mean that you need to go out and buy thousands of dollars in gear and half a dozen different soft boxes and sign a lease for a photography studio. Because really what we're trying to do here is have the ability to bring the function of a studio with us to be able to control your light no matter where you're shooting. But getting started, let's keep it super simple. Just the one light off-camera one simple modifier you can always add to your kit later. Okay, so now you know what basic gear you need in order to be able to shoot when the natural light is less than desirable. There's another component to the question and that is lighting theory. 
being a photographer means someone who is like almost weirdly in love with light. Have you ever, I don't know if this happens to you guys, this happens with me and Matt all the time. We'll be out like close to sunset or maybe there's like the middle of the storm and the clouds break and I'm like, Matt, look at the way that the light is behaving. Like look at that beautiful halo light. And Matt's like, I just don't see what you're talking about. I'm sorry. (laughs) Maybe I'm the only person that happens to, but being a photographer means we are weirdly in love with light. And part of that means understanding light behavior because the more you understand there the more you're able to predict how a change that you make behind the camera will alter the resulting photograph because what used to trip me up about off-camera flash was I was afraid of studio lighting because I was like well what if I get everything set up and it looks awful I don't know what to do to fix it I don't know where to start but when you understand the underlying laws that govern how light behaves it's The same from natural light to studio light. Studio light, you just have more control. So it isn't a matter of guessing and checking when you understand those underlying laws. It isn't a matter of praying that you will somehow stumble upon the exact look that you're hoping to achieve. And that confidence of knowing that you can achieve whatever look you're going for, no matter what kind of natural light a location might serve up, That means that you are able to command higher prices for your work because you can guarantee results. You are not at the mercy of optimistic listing photos or the weather. You can show up and perform no matter what the circumstances because you, my friend, you control the light instead of allowing it to control you. I have an entire module on off-camera flash as an elective add-on for Brand Photography Academy, and that's where I go into a lot more detail on this content. And obviously, I'm able to show visuals in an online course. I can't do that here with a podcast. But if you're not yet inside Brand Photography Academy, here's the TLDR version of lighting theory that every photographer needs to understand in order to advance their skills and increase their rates. These three main components of light and how they affect light's behavior. Number one is size. How large or small is the light source relative to your subject? The larger your light source, the softer the light is, which means there's a more gradual transition from highlights to shadows. And conversely, the smaller the light source, the harder the light. So you're going to have a more abrupt transition from highlights to shadows. As brand photographers, it's our job to incorporate light choices that reflect a client's overall brand vibe. Inside BPA, we talk about the five layers of depth in brand photography, and I would actually argue with my own teaching and say that light is the invisible sixth layer. Is your light telling the same story of mood and energy that you're telling throughout the rest of your frame? Number two, direction. Where is the light coming from and how does that impact your highlights and shadows? Is the light right behind you, which is called front lighting when the light is coming straight into the client's face? Is the light to the side? If it's to the side, what angle is it at? And what effect does that have on how the shadows fall on your clients and your scene? Number three, intensity. How deep or shallow are the shadows and why? I used to think, because I heard someone say, the bigger the light source, the softer the light. So I was like, great, I'm just going to put my clients right up next to the window because the bigger the light source, the softer the light, right? Well, yes, the transition from highlights to shadows was softer. There weren't any hard edges on my shadows. 
But the shadows themselves, when I put my client right next to the window, the shadows were really deep. The contrast was too high to preserve the detail in the lightest and darkest parts of my frame, so I got really high contrast. But for years, I couldn't tell you why that happened. I just kept chugging along, placing my subject right next to the window, and I would get mad at myself in post-production when my shadows were too dark and the photos were too contrasty. And it wasn't until I studied the inverse square law that I realized what my mistake had been. I could have saved myself so much trouble by learning that earlier. If you're feeling intimidated, I just want to remind you, understanding these basic principles about light and how they relate to off-camera flash will make you a better natural light photographer. Because the concepts of size, direction, and intensity apply to light of any kind, whether that's from a flashbulb across the room or a blazing ball of gas 93 million miles away. It is our responsibility to understand as much as we can about light. The very thing that makes our photographs possible. Without light, there is no photograph. But I also think that you'll find, alongside it being our responsibility, that it's also our joy. Remember how you felt the first time you shot at sunset and you achieved that gorgeous golden glow you'd been chasing? I do. Mine was actually at sunrise. And I remember feeling breathless, like I can't believe I took that photograph that is so beautiful. That same feeling exists when you learn how to purposefully employ artificial light to achieve a specific look in your photographs. It's a feeling of possibility, of power that you made that photograph happen. Know the theory, but then take the time to practice. Rent a light setup from lens rentals or borrow lenses or even your local camera shop. That's where I rent my gear from. And then take the time to put that theory into practice before you get on set with a client. Being on set with a paying client is not the time to experiment. You've got to understand light behavior on an almost subconscious level so that when you're in the midst of a shoot and something's not working, you know exactly what it is and how to fix it. I know how paralyzing it can feel to know that you're biffing your light and you're in front of a client and you have no idea how to fix it and just assume that you'll fix it in editing. And then you get the photos into Lightroom and you are kicking yourself for not realizing how bad it would actually look on a computer screen versus a two-inch LCD on the back of your camera. I know the feeling of delivering photos to a client that you know are not your best work because if you had taken a breath for a moment on set instead of letting panic rule your decisions, you would have made a different call on whether or not to break out that light stand and umbrella. Practicing outside of paid sessions and making time for pressure-free trial and error is going to be your best friend here because again, it's your job to be able to photograph with confidence in whatever location you and your clients settle on for a brand shoot. I've said this already during this episode. I'm going to say it again. You can do this. I know that lighting can feel like an intimidating subject with endless variables. Like, do I choose the two-foot octa or the three-foot octa? Do I want a, a, a circular softbox or a square one? How do I know which one is right? Trust me, I've asked those same questions sometimes within the last year. There are so many variables. So that's where we want to keep it simple here. It can feel intimidating with all of the possibilities available. So don't look at all of the possibilities. Just start with that one off-camera light and an umbrella. Or if you want to get fancy, a softbox. And once you understand those principles of size, direction, and intensity, you're going to be amazed at how intuitive your lighting decisions become. We are all works in progress, me included, so I want you to take an honest look at your work and answer this question for yourself. This is this week's homework. Answer this. Where could you stand to improve your lighting know-how? 
maybe you're crushing headshots, but you're really struggling with larger scenes. Or maybe you're really confident with a one light setup, but the thought of using artificial light with natural light, balancing those two together, maybe that has you shaking in your boots. I want you to look at your work and answer, where will your clients benefit the most from you up-leveling your skills? If you're interested in getting the full rundown of what's in my camera bag, head over to abbygrace.co slash gear. You'll get to peep all of the camera bodies, lenses, and lighting gear that I take with me for a standard brand shoot. Coming up in the next episode, we'll be talking about something completely different, how we've handled the childcare aspect of being small business owners and parents to two tiny humans while also working from home. Not at all photography related, but if you're a small business owner and you have a family or you're thinking about having a family, and especially if you have small kids who aren't in school yet, this can be a real pain point. All of that coming up on season two, episode 12. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, remember to hit subscribe so you don't miss an episode and head over to abbygrace.co slash podcast for even more resources to help you blow your clients away at your very next brand shoot. I'm Abby Grace and I'll see you next time. Now, let's go get after it, shall we?